the fundamentals, I mean, that that is really critical to make sure that you've got the right kind of identity and access sort of controls in place. Honestly, I haven't found things that aren't working well. We can do this and we can move fast and we can adapt in ways that we didn't even think were possible. Underpinning the delivery of citizen services, funding, and an all-important sense of normalcy during the COVID-19 pandemic, the federal IT enterprise has provided firm footing in uncertain times. As the nation takes its first steps on the road to recovery, Meritalk is chronicling the untold stories and lessons of the ongoing IT odyssey. Welcome to the Meritalk podcast, CIO Crossroads, Federal IT in the COVID Crisis. In this latest chapter, we explore the Nuclear Regulatory Commission's IT operations three months into the fray. If IT operations are the most important component for a resilient 21st century government, and what's the most important raw element? Not silicon, but electricity. Enter the Nuclear Regulatory Commission, or NRC, which oversees reactor safety and security for the critical infrastructure that supplies 20% of the U.S. daily supply of electric power. The agency also manages licensing for radioactive materials, including spent reactor fuel handling and storage. With the coronavirus pandemic closing in, NRC pivoted to several days of agency-wide training on telework technologies before enabling most employees to work from home. The result? 98% of the agency's 3,000-strong workforce was equipped to work from home immediately, with only a two-week spike in help desk calls. In an exclusive interview with Meritalk, NRC CIO David Nelson explains how the agency shifted to the new normal without missing a beat and how improvements realized during the process will go into permanent practice. David, what have been your largest priorities during the pandemic? What are you proudest of, and what has surprised you? I've just been surprised and very proud with the way that my agency has been able to adapt and change so quickly. We did have a robust telework program before the pandemic occurred, but we really didn't spend a lot of time, particularly executives and decision makers and those types of people doing their work on a day-to-day basis from a remote location. But I've been really, really amazed at how quickly we've been able to adapt our work processes and continue to get our important mission accomplished. We actually are operating at about 98% telework right now on a day-to-day basis. So it's been a really good success from that perspective. There's a couple of areas that I'm proud of, particularly with my office. We spent several weeks prior to actually moving into this telework situation, really assessing and updating our systems, processes, plans, really trying to figure out what we might have to do to support in case we were forced into a situation like this. The week before we went out, we actually held three days of walk-ins or hands-on instructions in, in our exhibition center. These were publicized. We made sure that all employees were aware of it. 
we were able to, to actually work hands-on and train nearly half of our people to make sure that they were comfortable doing that. And they could actually log on and, and practice there in our exhibition center, which is right outside of our cafeteria. We also sponsored a practice day uh, on the Friday. It was very fortunate before we ended up going out. Did a telework day. This was a volunteer telework day. We had a, a large percentage of people really attempting to telework and see how it worked. And then the following business day, which was Monday, the 16th, I guess, is when we actually went into maximum telework and then followed by mandatory telework uh, later in the week. We were able to really support things through that practice day. We were able to see how it was impacting our network with a larger load than we'd ever seen before, our VPN. At the time, we were closely monitoring our, you know, all of our capacity and, and any kinds of issues that we might have. And we ordered a dramatic increase in our capacity so that we would make sure that we could support both VPN, Skype, and in the way that we communicate. We did that with our carriers, and we were, you know, this is something I like to say is the carriers were amazing during this period of time. I can't imagine how many orders they were getting from both private sector and public sector organizations trying to get prepared for this. But we were able to get pretty much double our capacity within a matter of less than a week. Some of the other things that I was really proud of is the way that Immediately, we were able to continue to do the regular work that we do, even within my office. Some examples of that might be the we were in the middle of our, our fiscal year 22 budget formulation process, which is important to get through and, and keep on time. We had to shift to a virtual approach there. We had to do agency-wide meetings with the decision makers and adjust, you know, all those, the budget based on the input that we got from those people and respond to questions and prepare and keep that budget uh, submission on time. And we did meet that deadline. So um, that was something we were proud of. Another example is we are in the midst of digitizing a lot of our older microfiche and paper documents before we went out. And we have a very limited number of people that are doing some of that digitization work, and they were able to just keep a very minimal skeletal crew there so that we could continue to put those documents into a digital form that we could access them even while we're you know, all out on remote work. So since March, when we went out, we were able to still digitize about 17,000 microfiche and 7 million images. What's the story by the numbers the last three months? What are some metrics to measure success? So 98%, of course, is important, and we do track that every week. We have a COVID-19 response task force that's sort of managing that for the agency. But all of our offices are reporting on that so that we can track it closely. Because we do have an important response mission. We have to implement other steps if it drops below a certain percentage. But right now, I mean, our workforce is, is very actively teleworking and able to accomplish everything that we need to accomplish. Some other interesting metrics or statistics, I think our highest number of VPN users prior to this concurrent use users was around 600. As you know, we are a smaller agency, but those were like from occasional situations like weather closings and that type of thing in the past and only for a day or so. 
but we're regularly peaking now around 2,800 concurrent VPNs on a daily basis. And we do have other means. That's not all the people that are online. We have capabilities from our mobile devices. We have the ability to log on directly into our Office 365, but we do have secure log on in front of that, but it allows us to come in through the portal and access email or stuff that you might save on your cloud drive and be able to work on that kind of stuff, even without coming through the VPN, but still through our secure logon process. And we do have some Citrix as well. So we have users, we're, we're monitoring that every day, hourly with a dashboard to make sure that we're really managing the bandwidth appropriately and people are getting the experience that they need. Some of the other things that we've done, we changed the way that we do our cybersecurity patching. We realized very quickly that we had an issue with the process that we used, which was on-premise servers use, you know, products to put the patches out there. And we were immediately running into some issues trying to figure out how we were going to get our patches out there to all these remote workstations and keep current without having to ask people to log in and go to the server and pull the patches themselves and do that kind of work. So we quickly tested and deployed a cloud-based solution for that through Azure. And it's been amazing. And one of the things that was really important about that is, you know, we went out in March and then before the May patch release for Microsoft came out, there were several really important zero-day vulnerabilities in that patch release that are going to be fixed. So we were able to get those installed in all of our workstations very, very quickly and re react to that and make sure that we, you know, kept all of our workstations locked down, which was very important to us. It was a really important change to the way that we do things. We're going to continue to use that process even after we go back. I think it's really helped us. For conferencing, I mean, we used Skype before. Certainly our Skype data shows that we've more than doubled the number of sessions that we have on a daily basis. You know, all of our meetings are accomplished that way, or we do have a larger license through WebEx for, you know, huge conferences and stuff that we have to do. But for day-to-day -day integration with all of our work, we're using Skype for all of our meetings at this point in time. What are your biggest lessons learned from the pandemic? Well, I, I mentioned, you know, making sure that you have sufficient bandwidth and the tools to be able to manage those kinds of things is, is pretty important. We developed our dashboard to monitor that in the first day that we were out, actually the day that we did our practice telework. So being able to monitor that, look for any kind of bottlenecks that you have and adjustments that you have to make is pretty important. You know, we had some problems initially with our help desk, and these are things that you don't really think about when you're working in a, in a normal mode where everybody can be on site. Our help desk was on site. It wasn't remote. So it took us three or four days to actually work through a solution to get our help desk people effectively taking calls using the technology. We do have the ability to do that. We just had not exercised it and we had to work through some, some challenges there. Having worked through those, it would have been better if we had known that beforehand. Have you seen more volume on the contact centers? How about the agency websites? There's a couple of perspectives there. First of all, our help desk, the one I'm talking about, is focused on IT internally. 
that particular help desk, the answer is yes. They certainly did get an increase in volume of calls initially because people were still working through making sure they had they understood and how to work you know, into the VPN and where they were having issues and, and how we could support them, that type of stuff, and how they could use the other methods to get in there. So we pretty much cleared all that out. It, it's a pretty normal volume of calls probably after the first two weeks. As far as the external, that's interesting too, because we have done a lot of work on our website and information shared since we've been out. Basically, we develop a dashboard very quickly within a couple of days working with uh, one of our mission offices that actually provides a map and allows people to understand what's going on with the way that our nuclear plants are operating and uh, what kinds of issues might be happening around those nuclear plants as far as, you know, how many cases of COVID-19 are detected in those particular areas. So it's a little bit of a heat map sort of to give people an idea of what's going on. We also developed some tools that allowed our licensees through web-based forms to submit exemption requests on, you know, certain ways that they have to work within those plants so that we could process those all in an automated way. We wanted to do it in a way that it, it wasn't about faxing in requests or some of the legacy ways that we would work with licensees in the past. We did that through a low-code, no-code platform and quickly got that up. I think within eight days, we had that process up and automated through the website. Knowing what you know today, what advice would you have given yourself three months ago? Focus on fundamentals, making sure that the agencies that you're working for, that your IT systems, your identity and access, your role-based controls, all the permissions, all that kind of stuff needs to be strong and you have to have that in place. That's something that our agency had done a really good job at, so we weren't struggling in that area. We haven't really had to loosen any of our security controls because we had thought through policies and put the right kinds of systems and access controls in place. It was a matter of really just increasing bandwidth and that type of stuff that we needed to do to support our larger number of people working remotely. So the fundamentals, I mean, that that is really critical to make sure that you've got the right kind of identity and access sort of controls in place. Focusing on virtualization, the more that you have up in the cloud, you find this is a huge argument for why we've been doing all the modernization for a couple of years now with the federal government. When you're accessing all of these different applications and your data remotely, things work so much better when they're in the cloud and they're much more reliable. Again, very important, and it doesn't require our people to be in there potentially in an unsafe condition, hands-on working on, on the equipment that might be in our own data center. Cyber threats are always out there, but the increase in telework during the pandemic has certainly stretched the attack surface. Can you tell us a little bit about what keeps you up at night related to increased cyber vulnerabilities? Every agency has this problem. We have thousands of more endpoints than we typically or have had in the past. That is something when you're thinking about cybersecurity that should always be a concern. So it's more important than ever that, you know, you've got the right sort of controls in place. Sort of the things that I was talking about earlier with patching. We're very concerned about phishing and malicious sorts of SMS and that kind of stuff. 
there's opportunity for our adversaries to really shape messages. Some of the training that goes with phishing is be able to recognize things that you would not expect. These aren't the kind of common messages you'd expect, so you're going to take a closer look at it. Well, in this period, there's a lot that comes at you that's unexpected. So I'm really happy with all the you know awareness and training that we've done in the past, but it still concerns me and keeps me up at night. And how is the CDM program coming into play? You know, CDM is definitely an evolving program. I think the real value in CDM was to get all of the agencies to really think about and make sure that they have a complete comprehensive set of tools that can help monitor and manage the cybersecurity threats that are out there. Different agencies are at different places in the life cycle of implementing CDM. I think we're in some ways kind of out in front of a lot of that work that's being done. We're very adept at using the tools right now internally. We had a lot of the tools that have been standardized across the years with CDM. We had many of those tools already in place at NRCs, particularly in things like access management and stuff. We were sort of leading a lot of the work that was being done there. It's brought all of the agencies to a place where we all are looking at the tools in the same way and we can speak the same language and the same lexicon when it comes to what we're checking and, and what we're managing. So CDM has been very good at that. Right now, and for the foreseeable future, it's all about telework. What's worked well across the federal government? And where have you encountered challenges? What's working really well? You're going to be interviewing Suzette. She's just been a huge help to all of us in organizing and bringing us together. We initially started with daily calls so we could share what we were seeing, lessons, challenges, ways that we were actually addressing those challenges. They were just amazing sessions. And I don't know how she found the hours in the day, but she was available by phone to any of us. I actually worked with her on an escalation to get some support in here on resolving a piece of equipment that was critical to our VPN. She was really key to that. And having that daily meeting with all the CIO community was, and CISO communities was, was really helpful for keeping us all in the same place and helping us help each other through those first couple of weeks. OMB was helpful in, in her team up there in working with the different organizations to make sure that we were coordinating responses to what was really important and what was probably not as urgent to get done right away. Certain reporting requirements were loosened a little bit, which I think helped a lot of agencies as, as far as not having to spend time on regular reports that probably weren't as urgent as, as making sure that everything was working for federal employees across the government. Honestly, I haven't found things that aren't working well. I'll even throw out the OMB has been really fast at working through Paperwork Reduction Act sort of approvals. I've never seen them move through the process nearly as efficiently as they have when we needed to put up new survey sorts of tools. So, you know, I've seen, I've seen things working really well across the government. You talked about how 98% of the NRC workforce is remote right now. For the remaining 2% that can't work from home, are there other IT adjustments you can provide them? 
For the most part, those are a limited number of people that we have manning things like our incident response center, operations center, which we definitely have to have people physically there. They're still tied into the rest of the agency and, and working with us as if they're from a remote location because they're tied in through all the Skype meetings and, and working with the rest of the agency. They've had to change their workflows as well to work with everybody else that doesn't happen to be in the building. We also have some sensitive sort of business that we do, classified work that requires some very few people to be in the building maybe not full-time, but at certain times. The people that do work in the building that are not teleworking, those few people have had to adjust and had to work with us the same way as people are that are working remotely. They've just had to adopt the same tools and new workflows as if they're working from home so that they can be integrated into the way that we do our work. NRC has been going through a major transformation to evolve into a more modern, risk-informed regulator. Can you address how what your team has done fits into the transformation model? The easiest one is one of our seven initiatives that we're working on transformation right now is technology adoption. And we had been working for more than a year on really getting the word out and having these large training sessions and, and trying to work with people on, on adopting we were always sort of using metrics to look at how many people were using the different services. And we were seeing small bits of incremental growth coming out of those different attempts to train people and provide information. All of our metrics just jumped exponentially. So technology adoption uh, is probably one that's really easy to say we accomplished more than we ever expected to do with the new tools. This remote work We've been really concentrating on how to address risk-informed decision-making. That's an area that we've all used a lot during this process. So much change occurring around us. All the work that we had done in sort of framing that and helping people understand, you know, how to do that really prepared us to move in that direction since we've been out. You know, I think this has really pushed the agency to sort of transform and to move into this risk-informed regulator position even quicker and really given us the confidence as an agency that, that we can do this and we can move fast and we can adapt in ways that we didn't even think were possible. Are there any areas for more collaboration across government? There always are. We're piloting or reviewing the opportunity to pilot things like with some of the collaboration tools, there's the ability for agencies to actually work together and have access to each other's tools. Those opportunities were there even before the remote work, and I think they were just as valuable before we were out on remote. They still exist. We have to find that balance between what are our priorities. Where do we need to work closer with different agencies? Certainly, our agency has close ties to some of the other agencies like Department of Energy or FEMA. We're always looking for ways that we can, you know, work closer with them. And I think, I think this, you know, being out on all this remote work for all the agencies probably will get all of the CIOs and agencies thinking about probably a little quicker adoption of integrated workflows and ways to work 
work together more efficiently like this since we've all figured out how to do it internally. Right now, those haven't been the priorities, but I, I sense that we'll probably start moving in those directions. I'm also on the Chief Data Officer Council. This is a relatively new council, and it was basically put in place after the Evidence Act last year. And it's playing an important role in bringing all the agencies together with discussions over the data that's, that can be shared, the information that can be combined from different agencies to provide better visibility into what's going on in our world because of the vast amount of data that's available at each of the agencies. So instead of each agency necessarily developing their own dashboard and their own lens into what's going on based on on their mission, some of these data sets can be combined and, and provide much richer information, even for the public that haven't been there before. And there is work being done in that Chief Data Officer Council in that area, which I think is going to be really strong. What systems have worked best in this new environment? And what are some of the lessons learned around modernization, cybersecurity? Authentication. Yeah, I've mentioned most of those, but you know, let's get back to the basics. I'm certainly happy that the fundamentals that we had actually done that ourselves. And we had very recently, within the last year, finished our refresh of laptops in everybody's hands with nice, secure Windows 10 images on them. Those are some pretty basics. And then the basics of, I mentioned cloud based collaboration, cloud based email. That was a huge push a couple of years ago among the federal agencies. That was really important. It's important to have a good, strong network, a good, strong VPN solution, your access. I can't stress enough management services to make sure that you've got a way to authenticate people onto your network so that you can remain secure. You talked about the good level of cooperation with OMB in the calls with CIOs and CISOs. Is there anyone within your IT organization at NRC that you'd like to give a shout out to? Oh, thank you for that. Absolutely. And mine, I'm going to name a couple of teams because they've been really incredible. Of course, our network and security teams have been really fast. They did, They were the ones that implemented that cloud-based patching solution that I talked to about earlier and, and really were able to address those zero-day vulnerabilities very quickly. Our web team has been really quick in, in responding to all the different offices that needed to get information up there, as well as the agency-wide information about communicating with all stakeholders, the communities, and citizens on what we're doing as an agency. Our customer support teams have been outstanding in coming up with really, really important customer experience-focused solutions to to some of the challenges of of working at home and and how we support people and really thinking through the communications so that people can understand it very quickly. I mentioned our digitization team, working on all the microfish, budget formulation team I mentioned earlier in, in the interview, and then all of the dashboard support, information analytics support that our COVID dashboard support teams have been providing. And that would be a lot of names. So I just wanted to call out those those teams if I could. Post-pandemic, what are some of the new things that we're going to keep doing? And maybe some old things that we're going to stop doing? 
you know, we talk about that a lot. I imagine most organizations are talking about that internally as well. I personally think a lot has changed and will continue the way it's being done today rather than the way it was being done a couple months ago. I think there'll be an increased dependency on mobile, remote sorts of solutions. You know, what will be an interesting is all the discussion and thought about if and when we get back into buildings, you know, what do the workspace concepts look like? You know, I imagine there's going to have to be some changes. And there was been a pendulum going back and forth between open workspaces and, and you know, different sorts of layouts. I wonder what that's going to look like. I wonder what conference rooms are going to be used for. We were putting a lot of push into trying to make those into really collaborative centers where people could come together and work closely on things and bring people in from remote locations to collaborate with them. But now you just kind of wonder, you know, how many people are going to have in conference rooms going back and how those are going to be used. I imagine that's going to be different in the future. How will you and your team function in a world without conferences as we know them? And how would you envision interacting with people from industry? That is stuff that's trying to be figured out right now. I'm I'm actually sitting on a panel tomorrow, right? I know more and more of these conferences are looking at, you know, different engaging ways to hold conferences in a more virtual way. That's going to evolve. I haven't spent a lot of time on trying to figure out how to make these things exciting yet. I think that's just going to have to evolve over the next several months um, or, or years. Today, we've been talking to NRC CAIO David Nelson. David, thanks for being so generous with your time and talking to us today. Thank you for the interview and, and an opportunity to share what we're doing here at NRC. We're pretty proud of it. And thank you, listeners, for joining Meritalk's podcast series, CIO Crossroads, Federal IT in the COVID Crisis. We hope you'll continue to join us as we take a look at Federal IT's reaction to the crisis, the challenges faced along the way, and ultimately, the success stories that have kept America rolling.